Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, and John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be made known to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the son of God. So the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. With this passage before us, one of the things that immediately comes to our minds and our understandings is this, that our God is the God of greater things. And that his desire for his people is always for greater things. In fact, his design and his desire for his people is that they live great lives. We have one question and one question alone before us this morning, and it is fundamentally this question. How do we make the most of these brief lives that we have? Or I could rephrase it and put it this way. How do we keep from wasting our lives? This is especially important for believers because there have always been and there are today believers who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, who have been given brand new lives, but for a number of reasons have never given themselves fully to the one who has bought them. And they spend their lives these new lives, these brand new lives on lesser things and they waste them. How do we make the most of these beautiful transformed lives that God in Christ has made possible for us? Our passage for the morning helps us to discover how that happens. So I want you to take your Bibles and look with me today. We're going to look at the opening portion of this passage in John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Now I want you to see with me how this passage answers our fundamental questions. There's something we need to understand as we move now, John has given us an introduction to Jesus and he moves now to show us the introduction that John gave to the Jews of Jesus. But there's something we need to see, something we need to grasp, something we need to put our hands and our minds around, if you will. And that is this. Part of what we're seeing is this reality lived out and unpacked for us. What God is in himself, great, glorious, good, is what he's always after for us. What God is, is what God is after. What God wants for us is what he is in himself. It's the goodness that is 
a true greatness. He wants for you and he wants for me a great life, a, a good life, a godly life, a great and a good life like he is great and like he is good in Jesus, a life that is kind and, and benevolent and generous and sacrificial, always promoting the best and always fighting the worst, the harm, the destruction, the death that sin and evil always bring, all in the power of the Spirit. This is what he's called us to. Let me remind you that Jesus made it plain in John 20, 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The, the life that I have to give is the life you are to live. The mission that he gave me is the mission I'm giving you. My mission was to live full of divine glory or greatness, putting it on display by living out God's goodness with his words, his deeds, and by making an investment in people and, and eternal things. And this, this is our mission. This is our mission. This is the secret to living a great and unwasted life so easy for us, it's so easy for us to be consumed with lesser things, to live our lives focused on lesser things. It's so easy for us to be consumed with our children. It is so easy for us to be consumed with sports. It is so easy for us to be consumed with our children's sports. It is so easy for us to be consumed with the beach and assault life. It's so easy for us to be consumed with good things, with vacations and trips, with good things, with the work that we've been given to do with our lives, wherever that work is. It is so easy for us to be consumed with good things. But it's so important for us to realize and remember that if we are believers, we haven't been given permission to be consumed with anything but Jesus. Only Jesus is to be our consuming focus. So you have been, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been specifically and deliberately called to live a great life with God himself defining the greatness. That's ultimate goodness. Remembering that what God is in himself is what he wants and what he's after for us. Living in any other way is wasting your life. Living in any other way is taking a precious gift purchased at the highest price. Wasting.
the life he calls us for is, is a life that says, I, I'll dare in Christ. I will dare in Christ with what I am and who I am to make an eternity's worth of difference. To do it for others just as Christ used his life to make an eternity's worth of difference for me. My life is not my own. been bought with a price. Now this is no small ambition. God knows this and he helps us. And in our passage, we learn just how he does that, how he works to prepare for the great difference-making life and mission that Jesus had and that he gives us to share. And he answers this question, how can we make the most of these short lives we've been given? Now, what you'll notice with me with the passage that Jackson read is that he basically prepares us in three ways with a clear path, a divine partner, and a compelling promise. A clear path, a divine partner, and a compelling promise. But it's in John 19 to 23 that I want us to see, and I want us to focus this morning on the clear path that God works to give us in order to experience the great life he has for us. We get an insight here into where it is God actually starts when he has a brand new day, when, when he has something better, something greater for us, where he starts. When he's ready to bring those greater things into our lives. Shows us how he prepares us for a greater life. Look with me, will you? At verses 19 to 23. And so we find with verse 19, John beginning to tell Jesus' story. He moves from his introduction of Jesus to his readers to John the Baptist's introduction to the Jews. And John the disciple, John the apostle, recounts the story of how John the baptizer, the one sent by God to point to his Christ, receives this delegation from the Jews and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and they want to know who he is. They want to know what he's doing because he's attracting huge, huge crowds. And he's doing it in the name of the Lord. And so they want to know who he is. They want to know who he thinks he is. And they ask in quick succession if he is one of three end time figures. Are you the Christ? They ask him. Are you God's Messiah King? Come to save Israel and establish God's kingdom. No, John says, I'm not. Are, are you Elijah, the one promised in Malachi 4, of whom God said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Are you the Elijah that's come to declare God's judgment is at hand? No, I'm not him. Are you the, the anticipated prophet? of Deuteronomy 18, of whom God said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I'll put my words in his mouth. He will speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. I'll hold you accountable. Are you that prophet? No, I'm not that guy. And the delegation that is sent from Jerusalem isn't happy. They need an answer for the ones who sent them. And all he's gotten is three denials. Well, who are you then? What do you have to say for yourself? And you'll notice John's reply. He says in uh, verse uh, 23, 
He uses Isaiah 43, and he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John says, I'm not the Messiah, not the Elijah, not the prophet. I am only a voice. And what is most important about me is not me, it's my message. And my message is, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, the way of the Lord here is a metaphor, a word picture for the return of God to his people so that, and this is important, his people might return to him. And the idea behind it is this, ancient uh, Eastern roads were not surfaced, they were mere tracks. And uh, in ancient times, when a king was about to visit a province or, or a uh, conqueror was going to pass through one of his domains, the roads that he would be traveling on were always smoothed and straightened out. The, the hills and the valleys were leveled. The curves were straightened. The road or the way, in other words, was put in order for the king to come, for the conqueror to come. So John says effectively this, my role is only this, to cry out like a herald, the king of all kings is coming, God himself, get yourselves ready to meet a holy God. Every faithful Jew knew what this meant. God's Messiah, his Christ, the promised one was on his way. The God who is glorious, the God who is glorious with a perfect goodness who described himself to Moses, as we saw last week in, in Exodus 34, as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's coming, the Lord who is steadfast in his love for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. He is coming, the Lord, who will by no means clear the guilty. He is coming. This God is coming. So make sure, this, make sure that the heart road that he is traveling on is smoothed and straightened out, that those hills and valleys that have come are leveled, that the curves are straightened. Make sure that the way he will travel which is always in the heart. Make sure that it's put in order. Get ready to meet this God. Now, it's important to see what John is saying and, and what he's not saying. When he says, get ready for God, he's not saying, make yourself right with God because God's coming. He's saying, make the heart ready for this God to come, not fix your heart for this God to come. We can get ourselves ready for God, but we can never make ourselves right with God. We can get ourselves ready for God, but we can never make ourselves right with God. This is a work only he can do. This is a work that he wants to do. This is the work that he comes to do. It is never a work that we can do. We need forgiveness and our hearts need cleansing, but we can't give those things to ourselves. And this is why John the Baptist is, is a voice. 
the voice of the last Old Testament prophet saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Or to go King James, prepare to meet thy God. Now, it's important to understand the Old Testament context here. This is a picture, it's a powerful picture of of God turning and returning, returning to his people. It was something that his people prayed for over and over and over again in the Psalms. For example, in Psalm 90, verses 13 to 15, here's this prayer recorded. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us again in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. If, if you don't, return to us. We will never be satisfied. If you don't have pity on us, we'll never know gladness. And the psalmist says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen and done evil. Return to us so we can return to you. If you don't return to us, we will not be able to return to you because we cannot We can get ourselves ready, but we cannot make ourselves right. We can get ourselves ready, but we cannot make ourselves right. The great need was and always is for a return of God to his people so that there could be a return of God's people to him. If there's ever going to be reconciliation and restoration, it it always has to start with him. So, so here's the thing, Christ's coming is in answer to these Old Testament prayers. I've been praying, Lord, when will you return? When will you come? We need for you to come. We can't come to you until you come to us. When will you come to us? His coming is also a fulfillment of the promises of God in Zechariah that one day he would. One day I'll come. And I'll come to rescue and one day I'll come and I'll come to restore you. And you see again in fresh way how the gospel, the good news of Jesus is really at its essence the proclamation that the God who had turned away from us in our sin has now returned to us to deal with our sin. This God has returned and he offers a return to himself in Jesus. A couple of lessons here that I want you to see. From this start of Jesus' public ministry and and the start of his mission on this earth publicly. When God prepares a new day for us, he comes himself to make it happen. Whenever God prepares a new day for us to experience, a fresh day, a new day, a fresh start, He always comes himself to make it happen. That's lesson number one, but there's a second lesson. When God prepares a new day for us, he works to clear the way for himself in us. When God prepares a new day for us, he works to clear the way for himself in us. I'm gonna say that three times because it's that important. Hey, I need your full attention. 
When God prepares a new day for us, he works to clear the way for himself in us. He comes to us and then we are able to turn to him so that he might return to us and make of us what we are meant to be. So make the path of the Lord straight conveys the image of preparing this roadway by clearing it of obstacles and the most glaring obstacles in God's way when he has a brand new day for us is the sin in our hearts and our need of repentance. Now think with me just for a moment. Every one of you has experienced this in some place in your life. Think with me for a moment of that place where you need to make progress, of that place where you need to make an advance, of that place where you need to see change. It may be in your business, in your family, I don't know, but think of some place where you need change. Making progress, moving ahead in any endeavor in this life always involves facing and removing the things that get in the way of the progress, right? Those obstacles, they they could be people, they could be situations, they could be our poor decisions, they could be unforeseen circumstances, but there's always something when you're trying to move ahead, there's always something trying to slow you down. Am I telling you right? How many of you say, I've lived long enough to know this is the truth? Every time I try to take a step forward, there's always something trying to push me back. Is that true? Have you ever had a (laughs) three-year-old? Of course it's true. If you don't know it, wait till you have kids. They'll teach you that lesson again and again and again and again and again and again. And yea, verily, I say, again. Whatever those obstacles are, though, to our progress, if we don't face them, if we don't remove them, or if we ignore them, what happens is we just simply keep hitting them or tripping over them and our progress is slowed or sometimes it's stalled or stuck or even stymied. If we see them but do nothing about them, we simply stop and all the progress halts. And some of you in your lives, you've hit some walls, you just stopped and and you were stymied, maybe in your marriage, I don't know. But you hit a kind of a juncture where you can't make any progress and you say, I give up. I give up, I give up. No more progress in this marriage. She is too big a wall for me to get past. I should have used the mail. Uh, He is too big a wall. Yep, well, our God is gracious and merciful, always ready to forgive. It's just too bad his, all his, his women are not always gracious. And so I changed it though, I changed it, I, I fixed it, I did, I did. This explains our progress or it explains our lack of it in, in every area of our lives. This explains our progress and our lack of it as well spiritually. The biggest and most difficult obstacles you and I face to moving ahead spiritually, to having all that God offers to us in Christ, after we've received this new life in Christ, the greatest obstacle to the great life that he has for us is always what is inside us, not outside of us. It is when sin sets itself up in our hearts, when our love for him cools and doubt hovers, that sin begins to reign and we find ourselves in possession of a new life that is not a great life. A new life that is not a great life. 
And it's here there's so much dissatisfaction, so much pure misery, so much anxiety begins to surface in the life of believers is because they have been given a brand new life, but they are not living a great life. They're living consumed by something else. They're living consumed with lesser things. And the consequence of that is they are miserable. They are anxious. They're stuck. And there's no joy. This is why, you see, the first act of preparation God always takes when he's ready to come. When he's ready to bring a new day. When he sees that we need change. The first step he always takes when he's ready either for a person who does not know him to open the way to a new life. The step that he always takes when he comes to one of his children and he's ready to give them that truly great uh, 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 way of living that he has for them, that great life that he has for them. The first step he always takes is to clear the way for himself in us. Now listen, every new day from God demands an end to the old ways in us. I'm going to say that again. Every new day from God demands an end to the old ways in us. I'm going to say it a third time. I'm going to say it a third time. Every new day from God demands an end to the old ways in us. You cannot have a new day and keep living in your old ways. You cannot, you cannot in Christ have a new day and keep living in your old ways. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. will never happen. So with the coming of God's very son in his glory and in his greatness, his perfect goodness, love and holiness, John is sent by God to say to all who will hear, make straight the way of the Lord. A new day from God is coming and a new day from God demands an end to the old ways in us. So when God comes to offer new life in Christ to an unbeliever or when he comes to call his children back to himself and the great lives that he has for them in Jesus, he prepares them both in the same way. He creates a twofold movement. First, he comes to us and calls us to get ready with confession and repentance. Get ready. I'm coming. Get ready. I'm coming. And confession and repentance always mean that we take the time to pause and look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, is the way I'm living worthy of Christ dying? Is the way I'm living worthy of Christ dying? 
And I'm telling you, it is a painful question to ask, but it is a question that must be asked. If you don't ask that question, you will waste your life. I think so many of us are so busy, we are so pressed, we are so pushed, we are so consumed with so much stuff, much of it good, none of it essential. We are so consumed, we never get around to asking the question, is the way that I'm living worthy of Christ's dying? Second, he comes, after he comes to us and calls us to get ready with confession and repentance, he comes to us then when he receives it, when the way is cleared, when the way is cleared, hills and valleys, curves are dealt with. He comes to us with forgiveness and cleansing. So God prepares us for his coming with a calling that includes a confrontation and conviction and correction in the heart. And that is absolutely required for him to come and do what only he can do and give what only he can give. This is what opens the way for the new life Christ gives when the person is lost and Desperately in need of a savior, it is this. He comes. And he says, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. I'll give you rest. Own where you are and who you are and what you've done. Make the way open. I'll come with forgiveness and cleansing. I'll remove your guilt and your shame. This is how it works. It's also how he works with his people. This is how he gives and keeps giving to them a a truly great life. A life like Christ that's full of goodness and usefulness to him and others. This is why Paul says what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21. He's calling Really here in this passage, he's calling Timothy to a truly great life. He's warning him, don't waste your life. It's so short. Second Timothy, the last letter he would ever write, he knows he's about to die. He's trying to get this word across to Timothy. He's trying to say, Timothy, Timothy, you think you've got a long time. You don't have a long time. You've got that much time. You've got that much time. Don't waste it. Please don't waste it. You got a new life, but you need a great one. Don't waste it. In a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver, wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. 
If a man cleanses himself, if a person cleanses himself or herself from what is dishonorable, he or she will become a vessel set apart, made holy, fit for the master's use, ready for whatever he has. 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21 is the best definition I've ever seen of a great life. And that's what he has. That's what he wants. For you. For you. For you. Now, what does all of this mean? It means a couple of things. It means that if you're a follower of Jesus, the God and Father of Jesus has called you to live a life of true glory and true greatness, a life of goodness like his in every way and with every opportunity. It means that if you're to live the life you're called to, you've got to make it your supreme ambition to cooperate with him whenever he begins to do a work of clearing the way for himself to come and do a fresh work. Get out of God's way when he shows up. Get out of his way. The biggest problem in your marriage is you. The biggest problem in, in your life is you. The biggest problem in, in my marriage is me. The biggest problem in my life is me. The one boundary, the one hindrance, the greatest boundary, the greatest hindrance, the greatest obstacle to my experiencing the greatness of God and the life that he has for me is me. And if I don't cooperate, I stay in his way. You don't need to be afraid of him. Remember what God is in himself is what he's after in you, goodness. You don't have to fear him. You don't have to run from him. There is no great life from God where there is no cooperation with God. The great tragedy of the Christian life is that so many believers live their lives satisfied with lesser things, consumed with them, focused on them, when God has for them greater things and great lives. You'll often hear us say here at Center Grove that our vision is to see ordinary people and families find extraordinary life in Jesus together. And I know every time I say that, there's bound to be somebody in the room going, yeah, that sounds like a bunch of religious hype to me. Just so much talk. It's not. Extraordinary lives, truly great lives, made great by the work of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit is precisely what Jesus offers. Our 
problem is we just don't believe Jesus. Great lives require God's preparation and every new day from God demands an end to the old ways in us. And we don't like to change. And so we waste our lives. God forgive us. God forgive us. This is the secret to greatness, to making the most of our brief lives. It's cooperating with him when he comes. Now, if you look, you can see true greatness in some of the most unexpected places among his people. Such an unexpected place I found years ago in the life testimony of the late Dr. and Mrs. Robertson McQuilkin. McQuilkin was the much-loved president of Columbia International University. It was about 30 years ago this month that he surprised the university community by announcing in chapel that he was resigning as president. The people in the room couldn't believe what they were hearing. It was for them untimely and unnecessary but he knew better because of what was going on at home. His wife, Muriel, was suffering from the advanced stages of Alzheimer's. She had been in failing health for some eight years. To that time, McQuilkin had been able to care for her and be president, but the time finally came when it was apparent to him that he couldn't do both any longer, and so he announced in a chapel service what few wanted to hear, but something that all of us need to take note of. For on that day, Robertson McQuilkin was choosing to live a great life. And by God's grace, a video remains of that day and we get a glimpse of a truly great life being lived right before our eyes. So I'll ask you simply to watch what Dr. McQuilkin said and did 30 years ago. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact. She seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her, 
40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Jesus is the author of every story of true greatness. The only way Robertson McQuilkin could do what he did was because of what he had done so many times before the day came. He accepted and he kept accepting God's work of preparation in his life. And with every phase and stage of life, when God came to him and was ready to do something new, he was willing and ready and able to stop and look at his life, confess his sin and repent of it, and clear the way for the great God to come bringing the great life he had. Now I will tell you here and now, what we just saw doesn't qualify as a great life for most people on this planet. But in the eyes of God, greatness is defined by goodness, kindness, generosity, sacrifice, a willingness to lay down a presidency in order to spend your days with an Alzheimer patient who can give you nothing in return except the chance to look and love and live like Jesus. And that, my friend, is real greatness. God has for you a great life. What is it 
that keeps you from living it. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Clear the way. The Lord is coming. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I remind you, you cannot make yourself right. You cannot make yourself right. But you can get ready. And readiness looks like confession. Owning the stuff that's been consuming you problems, possibilities, the potentials, the stuff that's been consuming you, the stuff that's been owning you has no right, if you're a follower of Jesus, to do either. You can't make yourself right, but you can make yourself ready. my heart he's here he comes again for some of you he's coming for the thousandth time and he comes and he calls and he confronts and he convicts and he says Get ready. You know, believer, you know. Spirit of God has shown you misery and dissatisfaction and worry because he's coming and you're not ready hey 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 he's here for some of you the great opportunity of this moment 
finally, just finally, 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 say, yes, Lord, okay. I'm tired of being new, but I'm weary of not being great. Finally. Here is this sin. Here is this obsession. Here is this thing that's been consuming me. Here is this worry. Here is this obstacle. I'm done. Done. Here is this job of mine. Here is this money of mine. Here is this ambition of mine. Here are the worries of mine. Here are my kids. Here. everything out of the way I want you to come I need your cleansing I, I need your forgiveness and I, I desperately need to live the great life you have for me he's here he's here hey some of you today Several of you today have never given your life truly to Christ. You fought him, denied him, challenged him, wondered about him. <laughs> today he's coming to you. Today he's coming for you. And he's showing you yourself without him and he's showing you the reality of your sin and showing you himself as your great savior the one you need today he calls you to confess and repent and come to him give him everything because you need a new life if you're ever going to live a great one so here's what we're doing today I got time, you got time. Because God's got time. If God doesn't get our time here, we're done. All right. God's speaking to some believers today. One of the best things that you could do is simply say yes to him. Do it in a demonstrable way. So here we go. Altar's open. Places all up front. If he's coming to you, speaking to your heart, you got some stuff you need to lay down. This is the time, this is the place. Now, great lives start now. It's time for your great life to start. It's time for your new day to start. It's time now. Now's the time. You come. Now, I'm gonna come down and stand somewhere up front here. Don't you come see me unless you're ready to give your heart to Jesus. If that's your, if that's your, if that's your, your burden, God spoke in your heart said, I want all your life. I, I'm, I want to save you. I want to clean you up. I want to give you a new life. I want to forgive you of your sin. And you're saying, I'm ready to receive that. I'm going to be right here. You come see me. You don't even have to say anything. If you come to me, I know what you're doing. 
I can't make it any simpler than that. But everywhere else, it's for those children of God who've been given a new life. And today we say, I'm ready to live a great one. But I got to get some stuff. I got to get some business done with my master. I got to deal with some stuff. So I have no idea what the band's got planned. I have no idea. And I don't care. I love them. And they'll figure it out. But I want you to come. I want you to come right now. I want you to come. God has for you a great life. God has for you a great life. Now I'm coming down to the front. God has for you a great life. He has for you a great life. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.